All right, welcome back to the show. Continuing with a special edition of Baldry's Beat today, Keith Baldry, the breaking news at this hour with, you heard the live coverage there of the news conference with the B.C. government, Education Minister Jennifer Whiteside, announcing a near-normal start to the school year uh, in the fall. Let's listen quickly, Keith, to the Education Minister here. Here she is speaking a short time ago. Students will be back in the classroom for full-time in-person instruction and the return to a near-normal start to school in September. Based on guidance from the Office of the Provincial Health Officer, students will no longer be grouped into uh, cohorts or learning groups. Pending a further public health guidance, it's also expected that current restrictions on gatherings, extracurricular activities and sports will be relaxed in time for the new school year. And that's good news for everyone. Okay, starting sports again and extracurricular activities again in school, that's pretty big. You heard her say there yeah. that, that it's expected that will be the case. They're expecting some more health guidance on it. But you got to figure that will likely be the outcome here. Yeah, the, you know, the one caveat, of course, is if the, a variant of concern uh, reacts negatively against the vaccine. We're not seeing that. The Delta variant is uh, rampant in the U.K. It is not rampant in B.C., uh, one of the key, as I've been reporting this week, one of the big differences and why we should be uh, feel good where we're headed is the UK did not vaccinate young people to any great numbers. And that's who gets COVID-19 the most. And that's been uh, clear since almost day one is the 20 to 30 year old age group gets the disproportionately high amounts of COVID-19. It doesn't translate into hospitalizations or deaths, but they do get uh, sick more often than other age groups. And that's the age group that's getting the Delta variant in the UK. In They've got 24% vaccinated in the UK of that age group. We've got 67% vaccinated. That's why we've got, we've built ourselves a barrier against the Delta variant. And that's a result of Dr. Bonnie Henry's decision to back a few months ago to have that 16 week interval between doses, allowed more first doses to go in the arms of young people. Yeah. And we've now got more young people vaccinated than almost any other jurisdiction out there on a first dose. And that's going to be invaluable to keeping the Delta variant at bay. And uh, that means a safe start to the school year. Especially when they're double vaccinated come September. Yep. All right. Uh, again, we're ahead of the curve when it comes yeah. to vaccinations right okay we got callers on the line let me ask you quickly about a couple other stories keith get your take on it i spoke to kevin falcon on the show today the former bc liberal finance minister of course he's running for the liberal party leadership and you wrote a column this week about this report that came out from the liberal party they actually mm-hmm. brought in some consultants to do a post-mortem on their terrible election campaign when they got wiped out by the, yeah. by the ndp and it it uh, pointed the finger at a lot of things, but one of the things they, they blamed, or person they blamed, was Andrew Wilkinson, mm-hmm. uh, the former l- liberal leader, and said he was basically a bad leader. And I asked Falcon about that, if he agreed with that report, if the problem was Wilkinson, and here's what Falcon told me. I think it's very easy to point the finger at the leader and try and pretend that's uh, all of the problem, but I actually think that the problems go back uh, and they predate uh, Andrew Wilkinson, quite frankly. I think the party started losing its way many years earlier. Uh, we started losing our way by, frankly, not uh, focusing on principled policies, uh, being clear about what it is we believe in and stand for, and put that out in front of the public and fight for it. And, and I just think that if you're going to just be politics all the time, you're not going to be very successful in, in government or as a political party. Okay, what do you think about this guy? And he's got a chance to turn the Liberal Party Well, it sounds around. like you read my column, because that was my <laughs> point, is that this, their problems go way further than Andrew Wilkinson. This party started to lose its way some years ago. Uh, Falcon's got to be considered the front runner. 
in the campaign. But yeah. don't you know, Michael Lee? Uh, don't forget he finished uh, very high in the last election, uh, last leadership race. He's got the backing. Uh, he's got a better team now than he had in uh, in the previous run at it. Uh, he's got some caucus support. Uh, he had a flashy video uh, to kick off his uh, campaign. He seems to be more organized than he was last time. So do not discount Michael Lee. Uh, from a uh, you know, few people don't even know who he is. He's the Vancouver Langara MLA. Yeah. Uh, but Falcon's got a pretty good team around him as well. So I would I would think Falcon's still the guy to beat in this. But I think it's between Falcon and Lee. Falcon's got kind of a heavyweight machine. He's got some powerful advisors. He's got a bunch of MLAs now who are coming out and endorsing yeah, him. So yeah. So I think he's obviously the guy to beat here. Speaking of parties in disarray, the Federal Green Party. <laughs> this is incredible. The enemy, Paul. What a circus. Yeah. This is wow the federal leader of the green party with the party a lot of she lost an mp the other day who crossed the floor to join the liberals she had a very a really amazing news conference yesterday she's talking about the turmoil the civil war that's going on in the federal green party let me play a clip of this and get your take on it here's the federal green leader anime paul how many times will we allow justin trudeau to get away with pushing strong competent capable women out of politics when they are seeking to serve and how much longer will we allow him to do it with impunity? Today, I am here to say that I am one woman that he will not push out of politics, and he can believe it. Okay, he's very mad that the Just, liberals Justin stole Trudeau's one of her not the one trying to push her out of politics. It's her own party that's trying to push <laughs> her out of politics. Yeah. I think uh, she's had opportunity to take a, a shots at Trudeau, which is fine, but uh, her problems are in her backyard. It's not with the federal liberals. I mean, she's mad that lit when uh, her MP went over to the liberals, but you've got the party executive uh, coming at her, or a chunk of them coming at her. Uh, the people she beat for the leadership last time haven't put their swords away. This is a party that's in deep turmoil, uh, and it's uh, going to be a very rocky next few months. Not, how could it's not it going to be smooth? How could it affect? federal politics broadly speaking well if the greens fall apart and they are falling apart internally and they're falling apart over the issue of israel which you know the greens are supposed to be about the environment and climate change and such they're about suddenly wrapped around a mid-east conflict that nobody has an easy answer to and nobody has no. the right the right position necessarily and they're falling apart on it so what happens to that vote vote base does it go uh, does it fracture does it fall apart it's hard to see how it rallies around here come election time uh, I still think the high water mark may have been the, the last election. So, does this uh, endanger Paul Manley, the MP uh. on Vancouver Island? Does that suddenly put the NDP in a better position to win that seat? Uh. I, I would suggest it will. Uh, mm. Elizabeth May in Saanich probably is can rise above this. She's she's been elected a, enough times here, but is she going to run again though? I'm not sure. And Paul uh, cannot count on her own. Uh, she won a by-election, but the Greens are in trouble. I think this helps the Liberals and the NDP. Okay, I'm trying to get Anime Paul on the show. The oh, federal. Green Party leader. I've been begging her press secretary to bring her on here, and they haven't ruled it out. So I'm trying. I'm still trying to get her. Let's take some quick phone calls here uh, just before the break, and then we'll take more calls after the break. Chris and Langley been very patient. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. Yeah, no worries. Um, actually, just uh, kind of quickly touch on the kids and their vaccinations. Yeah. On the second dose, there's a slight uh, uh, complication to a small uh, number of kids, boys usually. Uh, with the heart condition. So I'm just curious on the numbers. Uh, I don't know what they are. Maybe there is numbers out there on uh, first doses only for kids as opposed to the second dose because that's where the risk is. And kids are already not uh, a, a huge risk to begin with. So I wonder if one dose would be enough. Uh, the other uh, thing is, it, yep. is just talking about going out of masks uh, coming up and, and this transition. And 
And, and as far as on the germaphobe scale of one to ten, I'm probably a seven before COVID. And uh, once, uh, even before masks were implemented, once we started talking about respiratory droplets coming out, I'm visualizing uh, the guy at Subway, you know, asking me for extra cheese, and he looks like uh, Sylvester the cat spitting all over my food. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> how am I going to oh, transition man. back in? And a lot of people yeah. are probably going to have an issue trying to transition back, uh, you know, get yeah. people up in your face in a store, and all of a sudden you're kind of faced yeah. with this fact so, that you're... Uh, you're <laughs> All right, so your first question, there was a um, a study, not a study, but just in terms of the incidence of of heart uh, palpitations or heart trouble from young males getting the vaccine, very, very, very low numbers, 0.0002, I believe, percent of kids uh, getting the vaccine had that. So that's the CDC in, in the States did have a meeting about this to just address the concerns, but nothing much came of that. In terms of the mask, it's going to be interesting. Uh, masks become uh, recommended in July, and then they're going to be optional. Uh, well, recommended and optional. Uh, but come the fall, when they're not going to be required, or come July, when they're not going to be required, it'll be interesting how many people will continue to wear a mask. I think we may be shifting into a different cultural behavior, as we see in some Asian countries, because one thing the mask did, quite apart from COVID, we never had any flu. Uh, this yeah. past season. Yeah. Nobody got sick right. from the flu because of yeah. masking and because of social distancing. And I wonder if that's just going to be the norm uh, going forward for, for so many people. Many people just refuse to wear a mask and, you know, come September, that's fine. But a lot of people are going to continue to wear the mask. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to continue to wear it if I go to crowded, crowded uh, supermarkets and such. All right. Welcome back. Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry from Global News and your calls to him. Let's go right to your calls. Keith on the line in Burnaby. Hi. Hi, Mike. Hi, Keith. Uh, yeah, I'm a Burnaby teacher. I agree with the Sabbath optional masks. Um, teachers have actually, you know, like you said, uh, we were almost some of the only ones in North America to keep schools open for as long as we did. But the thanks we're now getting is massive budget deficits and huge cuts. Mm. So after taking it and stepping up to the plate, and, you know, it's not just young teachers. There's teachers in their 50s and 60s who had to come in each day. Some of them had, you know, compromised health uh, you know, systems, and they came up and they stepped up and they put themselves in front of lots of little kids. And now, like in Burnaby, we have a $12.4 million budget deficit, leading yeah. to yeah. up to 40 teachers being rewarded by being laid off, mm-hmm. 20 support staff. Wow. And this comes on the basically because we completely rely on international education to fund programs in Burnaby, Coquitlam, Surrey, and that's fundamentally wrong that we rely on this to educate our own domestic children. Okay, thank you, thank you, Keith, for the call. Yeah, because a lot of these international students, of course, during COVID, were not coming here, so they're not that's paying right. the tuition. So that's why we've seen these uh, these budget shortfalls. Yeah. We've seen some school districts putting things like music programs on the chopping block in order to cut the budget and layoffs, as the caller just mentioned. So. Yeah, it varies from district to district. Remember, we're now going to go back into the old-fashioned school board uh, wars, where, again, once we get out of this pandemic, as we ease out of it, uh, we go back to the budget uh, fights that characterize our education system for so many years. Now, again, uh, my experience is some these layoffs suddenly don't turn into permanent layoffs. In many cases, yeah. they're, they're called back. But uh, we're into the usual cycle of budget shortfalls, predicted shortfalls, layoff notices, and then it plays out differently through the school year. But sometimes, it varies from district to district. Sometimes it almost seems like a bit of a bluff by the school districts. They say, okay, we're going to cut yeah. all these music programs because of a budget shortfall 
and are they re- and then they end up not cutting them and it puts pressure on the provincial government to put some more money into the system yeah it's uh, you know bureaucrats call it uh, the, the let's close the children's burn ward to get yeah. the attention of everyone and then it yeah. doesn't actually happen but uh, we'll see where it goes you know victoria here uh threatened to kill all the music programs and now it's a f- i think it's a five percent cut so it's not quite as bad as it uh, is, appears at the at the very start of the process. But nevertheless, we're back into some, I think, some rocky times in education yeah. that have nothing to do with COVID. It's deja vu, actually. I've done that story before many times. Let's go to Nicole in Na- uh, Maple Ridge. Hi, Nicole. Oh, hi there. Hi. Uh, yeah, I want to follow up on what that fellow, a former caller, uh, mentioned about the um, pericarditis um, effects of uh, on young um, males. It, w- it was also for females as well. And uh, Israel is actually um, considering um, approving just a single dose of an mRNA vaccine um, because of those effects. And I don't, you know, I don't think that we should downplay uh, the effects of endocarditis and pericarditis. It's a lifelong and could be fatal um, disease. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I think we need to take this stuff seriously. Not, not downplaying it at all. I, I pointed out the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, thought it was serious enough to hold an emergency meeting about this last week. Now, there hasn't been that much follow-up from that. Statistically, it is very, very minor, but you're right. It was 225 cases, I believe, out of millions of, of doses that had this uh, this uh, condition. So, you know, 225 people had um, a negative reaction to this on on with with that heart condition. So it's something to keep an eye on. But it may it's interesting. I didn't know Israel had a one dose uh, regimen. Uh, again, we're we're at the very beginning of a brand new vaccination uh, scheme here, and the science will adapt and change as we get more information. And we may very well evolve to a one dose regimen for young people. Okay, let's go to Jeff on the line in Langley. Hi, Jeff. Hey, good afternoon or good morning. Um, has there any been any stats on things happening in the states since they've opened up? Like, you know, Dr. Bonnie wants us to wear our masks indoors still, but yesterday there was eighteen thousand fans watching the hockey game. Yeah, what's happening south of the border there in terms of the num- case well, number? Yeah, it varies from state to state. I haven't mm-hmm. checked. I was going to actually check Las Vegas' uh, cases today because, as caller mentioned, 18,000 people in that hockey arena last night. Uh, interestingly, if you recall a couple weeks ago, that inf- now infamous picture of thousands of people around Phil, Milkos- Phil Milkelson uh, at the golf tournament um, were in a state which had very low vaccination rates, South Carolina. Uh, but I haven't seen any evidence that that was turned into a super spreader event. So uh, we're not seeing a huge increase in, in COVID cases in the states. We are seeing an increase, though. Again, it varies from state to state of the Delta variant starting to take mm. root in some states. So keep in mind, the northeast part of the United States and the west coast have high vaccination numbers. The Midwest and the American South have low vaccination numbers. So okay. keep an eye on the COVID cases in those jurisdictions. Squeeze in one more. Bob in Vancouver, you got to go quick. Bob, go ahead. Quick point to the teacher. We have to keep in mind there are 8,000 fewer students in the public school system today. So like any business, that's going to affect numbers and jobs. Um, I've got a question about surfaces. I read an article the other day where the CDC, they're starting to relax some of the rules on surfaces and the transmission of the virus. Uh, do we really need to be, I know we need to be doing tables, et cetera, but seats and chairs and some of these other things, I think uh, it should okay. be looked at here, it, you know. Thank you. Well, it's interesting. If you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was paranoid about doorknobs and surfaces. That was seen to be the big 
the big problem, the big threat. That has eased as we learn more and more about the virus, that surfaces are less of a concern than they were at the beginning of the pandemic, and that'll be the case going forward as more and more people get vaccinated. 